0: Good evening and welcome. I want to invite you to stand with us. We're going to begin our service with a wonderful hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Let's sing this together. How deep the Father's love for us. So Go ahead and have a seat.
1: How many of you have been to a Seder before? Oh my goodness, look at how many people have been to a Seder. This is an educated group. Well, you are going to, maybe some of you have been to a Jewish Seder. This is a, uh, this is a Christian Seder looking at the Jewish Passover through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to do that, we have a special guest that's going to be with us. He's actually a member of our own church. Maybe you have uh, met uh, Dan Price before. He's led worship here uh, with us, he and his family have been members here for the last several years. And uh, Dan works with a group called Friends of Israel. How many of you heard Friends of Israel? Okay, several of you. They have a table out in the lobby, so you can visit Dan and learn more about Friends of Israel and what they do to uh, to equip and empower Christians uh, to be able to share the gospel with those that come from a Jewish background and really reaching uh, reaching both Jew and Gentile uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Messiah of all people, all nations. So uh, you can learn more about that ministry. When you came in, you should have received a baggie like this that has three juice cups and a piece of matzah, okay? If you didn't, make sure you go out to the lobby, make sure you get one of these, and you say, well, why is there three? Uh, Is that a mistake? Is it because you think I'm going to spill one or two? Uh, No, this is very purposeful, and you'll find out why in just a couple of minutes. So... Before I have uh, Daniel come up and begin the Seder uh, time together, I wanna say a word of prayer and then we'll jump in, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we wanna thank you for this evening. We wanna thank you for the opportunity this, uh, this Holy Week to come before you to walk with Jesus through his last days last hours before the cross. And as Jesus ate with his closest friends, his disciples, the people that he had poured his life into, Lord, so we enter that table experience as a friend of Jesus, if we know him. Not only has he poured his life into us, but Lord, he ultimately poured his life out for us. We thank you for that. Meet us here through this beautiful meal and the symbols of the Seder. Be with us tonight. that We might see your sacrifice and what it is that you've done for us in a whole new light and worship you. We give you glory for tonight and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you all welcome uh, Dan Price.
2: Shalom. Oh, no, that was pretty good. That was a good start. I like that. Try this one. We're going to do a couple of Hebrew things here tonight. Uh, Erev Tov. Erev Tov. That means good evening. Very good. Erev Tov. Uh, So my name is Dan Price, and I am with the Friends of Israel, as Pastor Nate uh, shared with you. I'm the Assistant Director for our International Ministries. So all of our folks all around the world that are sharing the love of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus with Jewish people all around the world, uh, I'm representing all of them here for you tonight. Uh, Just this past week, I got back from uh, a trip to our CR teams in New Zealand and Australia, and uh, in those places, they're sharing Jesus with Holocaust survivors and with Israeli backpackers and many, many other things. I would love to be able to share all of those types of ministries with you but that's not why we're here tonight. Right? Right. We are here tonight because tonight, does anyone know, and and I'm going to open the floor to answer this question if any of you know, do any of you know on the Hebrew calendar what the date is on the Hebrew calendar? Does anybody know? Shout it out if you know. It is the 15th of Nisan. Yes, very good. A couple of you, somebody gets gets a round of applause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, very good. Yes, it is the 15th of Nisan, and we are here because this is the second night of Passover. As your Jewish friends have been celebrating it, it is the first day of Passover, but it's the second night of Passover. If you know your Jewish calendar at all, you know that each day begins at sunset, so it's really weird, and it screws up your calendar really badly, to try to keep track of what day we're on. It's actually very difficult. So today is the second night of Passover, and all around the world, Jewish people, including Jewish believers, some of whom I know very well, in Israel and many other places, are celebrating this evening a 3,500-year-old tradition. Let that sink in for a second. This is 3,500 years old. When Jesus celebrated Passover, it was already 1,400 years old. You think I'm old, my kids do. (laughs) So there has been a long tradition of people celebrating God's deliverance, God's love, God's protection, Through the rituals that we're going to be learning a little bit about here tonight. And we get to join in to that history of the people of God celebrating the faithfulness and the goodness of our God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, some people don't realize, but Jesus, in fact, was Jewish. It's true. If you called him Jesus to his face while he was here on earth, he might have looked at you a little quizzically. Certainly his disciples would have. His name was Yeshua in Hebrew. And so he would have responded to that. Certainly he was God, so he knew what you were talking about, which is also good for those of us who are not Jewish, right? So Jesus was Jewish, and he celebrated all of the Jewish festivals. Scripture shows us several of them that he actually celebrated. And we get tonight to step into an experience of Jesus celebrating this tradition. That's my goal for us here tonight. My goal for us here tonight is to try to put you not into Moses' version of the Passover Seder, and not to put you into a modern version of the Passover Seder, what I want to try to do tonight for you is help bring you into the experience of Jesus' version of the Passover Seder just a little bit. Certainly there are things that we don't know, but there are some things that we can know. And I think that this will be enlightening for you, for your faith, for your walk with God, and certainly for your hope in God's promises because he made promises to his people Israel and he's made promises to you as well and we're going to celebrate those promises here tonight as we walk with Jesus through that last night of his life here on earth leading up to the resurrection. Amen? Amen. So, we're not gonna do a modern Seder. The rabbinic Judaism has actually added a lot of layers. Uh, All of you who raised your hands earlier, who said that you've seen a Passover Seder, tell me if you've seen a modern Passover Seder from Jewish perspective. Have you ever seen a Jewish version? Okay, so for those of you that have seen a modern Seder, not a Christian interpretation of the Seder, you will see something different here tonight. Okay, there are a lot of traditions that have been added over time, but it's interesting how all those traditions still somehow, miraculously, point back to Jesus. So we're going to use what we know from ancient sources to try to put you in that place. So, are you ready? All right. Come with me. Come with me to about 2,000 years ago. Let's (laughs) pretend for a moment that you own a house in Jerusalem. None of you probably has that kind of cash right now, but back then you might have been able to do it. Okay? What you've been doing as you prepare for this week's Passover Seder, which would have fallen on the 14th of Nisan, on the Thursday of the last week of Jesus' life here on earth, you would have been spending time cleaning out all of the chametz. You guys want to say chametz? Okay, one more time, really it out. Yeah, and now you go like this because your neighbor behind you got a little too ambitious, right? You're cleaning out all the leaven, anything that's fermented, anything that might be mold, anything that grows exponentially on its own. You don't want it in your house because according to God, according to Exodus, this represents sin when we get to the Passover Seder. So we want to clean it out. You think you enjoy spring cleaning? Anyone enjoy spring cleaning? Raise your hand. Okay, a couple of you weirdos out there. Yes. I don't particularly enjoy spring cleaning, but guess what? Spring cleaning didn't originate with us. No, it originated with the Jewish people because God said, clean it all out. Get rid of it. It represents sin. We don't want it at our Passover. And so you would be cleaning out for a long time, maybe a whole week. Then when we get to Thursday, the 14th of Nisan, you and your family are going to take a little lamb. Probably one that you've been watching because Exodus says you're supposed to look at it, make sure it's without blemish. Keep it in your home for, for four whole days. You keep it like it's a pet. Your, friends, your kids make friends with it, right? You take this beautiful little lamb that's perfect in every way that, um, that a human can look at a lamb and say, yep, that's pretty good. And you take that lamb to the temple. Where you yourself, not the priest, you yourself get into a long line of other Jewish people. Josephus claims that at the time of Jesus during Passover, there could have been one million people in Jerusalem at the time. So think about how many lambs. And you yourself would sacrifice that lamb in the temple courts. Along with all of the other people. Then you take that lamb and you go home. And you and your family begin To roast it. All of you pitmasters out there are going, yes, yes, this sounds like a good thing. And so you roast this little lamb, and then that night your family is supposed to eat it over the Passover, Seder. Seder just means order, by the way. So when we're celebrating Pesach or Passover, we're celebrating not this order of service, we're celebrating what these elements all remind us of. So you would have been cooking and eating this with your family. You don't celebrate Passover in the temple courts. You don't celebrate Passover Seder in the synagogue. No, no, no. It's you and your family. All you dads out there, you're in charge of this Seder. You're the one who's going to walk everybody through it. That's why, just like all the other dads out there, I got a little list. Of all the things I have to remember, it's called a Haggadah. Can you guys say Haggadah? Very good. Right? And mom, mom, you are the one who's gonna start the Seder. And then all of the elements on here, as I said, they're all symbols. They all remind us. They're all object lessons for the kids. You see, Passover Seders were meant to remind the Jewish people who they were. It was meant to remind them who God had made them to be. It's celebrated as a family family because it gives your family a sense of identity and belonging and continuity for generation after generation after generation, right? So all of this would be for the purpose of bringing your family into that long-standing tradition. Now Jesus chose to host a Passover with his disciples. It tells us in Luke that he sent Peter and John off to go prepare for the Passover Seder which of course means that they would have had to clean out that upper room, right? Because you don't know what, would have, what might have been in there. It also means that it was probably Peter and John who went to the temple court with the lamb. Can you imagine sending off probably some teenage boys into a crowd of something close to half a million people to go kill a lamb? I probably wouldn't want my teenager doing that, but that's probably what happened, right? So Jesus had his disciples prepare it, but Jesus... Doing it with his disciples is still a lot like a family because rabbis, their disciples, were that close, that intimate of a relationship. So it's still for the same purpose, understanding their identity in God. Okay, so let's, let's begin our Passover Seder. No Passover Seder can actually begin without ema. Ema tonight, is our friend Eden Forrester. Eden, will you come up and start our Passover Seder for us, please? Everybody, give Ima a big welcome, please. Now, I'm not going to make her say the prayer in Hebrew as she does this. I'll read it to you, okay? It starts in Hebrew like this. Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu, Melech ha'olam. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has made us holy with his commandments, with his mitzvot, and commanded us to kindle the festival candles. Another big round of applause for Ema, please. Thank you. All right, so let's talk a little bit about what was on Jesus' table. To the best of our knowledge, best that we can understand, let's talk a little bit about what would have been on that table at the time of Jesus. Well, there's only three biblical required elements. Okay, so I'm going to lift these up for you because I know it's p- kind of hard for you to see. But we have some maror here. Say that in Hebrew for me maror. This is our uh, very favorite horseradish, and uh, we'll tell you what that's for in a moment. That represents the bitter herbs along with the parsley sprigs. This is called karpas in Hebrew. Say karpas. karpas. Very good. So we have that, and then we have a little mixture here made out of apples and walnuts and a little wine or grape juice to your taste, and this is called cheroset. Say haroset. Very good, very good. And then, of course, we have tonight a shank bone here representing the lamb that would have been sacrificed earlier in the day for us. Uh, I didn't bring one with me for you to eat Uh, But I do have this. You would be surprised how many interesting questions you get from the TSA when you fly with one of these. (laughs) So on Jesus' table, he would have had those three elements. Bitter herbs, as well as the lamb, and of course, matzah, right? The bread on Jesus' table was not risen. It didn't have fluffy pockets of delight in it. No, it was like this. Hard. This is matzah. We're not going to go into a lot of detail about the matzah, but that would have been on Jesus' table. All right. Now let's talk just a little bit about why I have the table set up this way. I know it may be a little hard for you to see where you're sitting, but you can come up afterwards and take a look at some of this stuff. You may even try some things if you would like to try a few things for, for those of you that are daring. Um, but the way that we have the table set up is a three-sided table, because I believe that Jesus probably had a Roman triclinium, at the time of Jesus Christ, most Jewish people would have had a Roman triclinium for their celebration of the Passover Seder. It's a little weird that they would use a Roman style, though, isn't it? Not if you stop and remember what Passover is all about. It's about God's deliverance, and it's about the fact that we're free, and it's about the fact that we get to do whatever we want, so we get to live like people who can recline and enjoy ourselves, and so we eat the way that free. Roman citizens would eat. We eat in a way that makes us feel comfortable and has a good time, right? So we have a three-sided table. The text actually tells us in Luke that Jesus reclined at the table. So you would have seen people laying out from each of these directions off the ends of the table with their feet far away from the food, like my children, get your feet off the table. It's not elbows at our house, it's feet. So they would have had their feet far away from the table. They would have leaned in towards the table. They would have leaned probably on their left arm most of the time. Why? Because lots of people are right-handed. And you got to have a hand free. I tend to be one of those that likes to move quickly. So I want a hand free to be able to eat. You would have had common plates most likely if you go to the Middle East today. Many places you would have common dishes. It was a very typical way of eating. So they would have been about one plate for maybe every two or three people. Okay, so these common plates would have been dispersed and in the center here you see this big open place. This is where the servers would have come in. This is where the entertainment would have happened and all the people laying out and lounging out as Jesus says in Luke did, lounge. We we would have been laying out there and enjoying ourselves and it would have taken somewhere between four and who knows, even six hours. You wanna get to the end by midnight. I promise I'll have you out before Good Friday. So this is a long, enjoyable experience, right? So we lounge, and it's interesting. Normally, wherever the food is coming from, the opposite side would be the place where the host would sit. Probably right in the middle here would be where the host would be if maybe that's where the food is coming from, okay? So in Jesus' case, he probably would have been somewhere, possibly, right here, Now, interestingly, we also see two other places that are described very clearly. Whenever you have one of these types of celebrations, there would be a guest of honor on one side, and there would be a guest who was a close personal friend on the other side. Interestingly, the text actually tells us who those people might have been. Do you remember In John, when he tells us that he actually rolled back and laid himself, the disciple John laid himself on Jesus' chest. Now, that would be awkward if we sat the way that we do today, right? But not if they're laying. And so John rolls back onto Jesus' chest, and he asks him a question. Odds are good that that place of of a close personal friend was where John was sitting. And then on the other side, typically speaking, was the place of honor. Remember I mentioned that? So the person on this side was someone who was a person that the host would have considered needing some special recognition. Now, remember, these are common dishes. You only would have had one for two or three people. And Jesus, at one point in the meal, actually took a piece of matzah and he dipped it into one of these uh, elements here, and he took it up and he handed it to someone who was close enough to reach, someone who dipped in the same dish as him. Do you remember who it was? Judas. So there's a possibility that Jesus put Judas, of all his disciples, close enough to him to maybe be in that place of honor. Also interesting, we know where uh, the disciples, no one bothered to wash any feet, right? And so Jesus got up from the table and he started to wash feet at the beginning of the meal. And, and uh, the text says that he came to where Peter was, which indicates that he would have maybe gone several people down the line before he gets to Peter. And Peter says, no, 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 Lord, you can't wash my feet. So maybe Peter is way down here in the place of least honor, But he's not washing feet. Maybe he remembered Jesus' teaching when Jesus said, when you come to a big celebration, don't set yourself way up here in the places of honor. Set yourself a little lower than you need to so that the host doesn't come and say, ah, Peter, I I mean, I like you, but I, I need someone to sit here instead of you. Can you go down in this direction? Maybe Peter took that teaching to heart. So, We know where some of those disciples may have been. So we're a little bit in the room. Our Seder has kind of sort of begun. After Emma has lit the candles, then we come to the first cup. Now you have those cups in your baggies there. Go ahead and take the first one out. The Seder kind of has guideposts or markers or toasts along the way that give us the order of what's going on. And those cups all represent the blood of the lamb that was painted on the lintels and the doorposts of those Hebrew homes in Egypt the night that God said he was going to get them out, right? And so we have these, uh, these, these cups that remind us of that blood, this, this wine here or grape juice as you, uh, to your taste, it would remind us of that blood, but it would also remind us of, of very specifically, of four different promises that God had given to the Hebrew people. Let me read them for you, okay? Because these mark the whole movement of the Passover Seder. These promises go like this, from Exodus chapter six, verses six to seven. It says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So each of those sentences, I will, I will, I will, God is the one who's going to do it, is celebrated in these four cups. So the first one is sanctification. It's called the cup of sanctification, right? For the Hebrews, what that meant at the time of the Exodus was God was going to take them out from among the Egyptian people. They were mixed in. They were living among. They were not distinct. They were not holy. They were not set apart. God was going to take them out and make them something new. Make them holy. Make them set apart, right? I promise you to take you out. That's the promise. Now, as Jesus and his disciples started their Passover Seder, they had to be thinking how God had done that, how God had kept that promise for them. But you know what? For those of you that have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that have, have received his free gift of salvation, you know what? God has promised you the exact same promise. You ever sit up and think about that? God has promised to make you sanctified. God has (laughs) promised to make you holy. In fact, he's promised it again and again. For over 1,400 years, this ritual foreshadowed the sanctification that you were going to eventually get because of what Jesus was going to do just within hours of this last Seder. So I think we should remind ourselves of God's promise to sanctify you before we drink this cup. So, uh, Kendall, would you please come and read this promise for us? We're going to read it tonight from Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. There's many places in the New Testament we could use to hear this promise, but this is a good one. So hear God's promise to you. And giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Did you hear that? We give thanks to God because he's delivered us. Delivered us from what? The Egyptians? No, not for me and you. What's he delivered us from? The kingdom of darkness. And he set us apart and taken us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. You are holy. You are set apart for God. You belong to him and him alone because of the work of Jesus Christ. To make you distinct. Set apart. Sanctified. The prayer over this cup, and you can open it now if you haven't already opened it. The prayer over this cup usually goes something like this. Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu, Melech haolam, borei peri hagafen. It means, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, for giving us the fruit of the vine. So before the world even began, Christian, he chose to make you set apart, to bring you out, to make you his chosen. So tonight, let's lean a little bit to the left with Jesus and his disciples and drink to God's sanctification promised. Let's remember. Amen. Now, during a modern Passover Seder, there would be several other ritualistic things that would happen at this point. I'm gonna skip over those because I'm pretty sure most of them were not there at the time of Jesus. But I do wanna draw your attention towards one of the elements here on the table, this matzah here that we didn't elaborate on earlier. Okay? So unleavened bread, as we mentioned, always represents... It, not always, excuse me. In the Exodus story, in the Passover, it always represents sin. That's not true everywhere in Scripture, but that is true certainly in reference to the Passover Seder. So, uh, we have no leaven in this bread. Remember, it was supposed to be a quick occasion, right? We're eating fast food, the very first version of McDonald's. Okay, because the, the, this Passover, for the Egyptian, for the Egyptian people, that God was going to bring his judgment upon uh, for the Hebrews, it was very fast. You had to, to be ready to go. The text even says have, have your, your, uh, your kilt hiked up and tucked into your belt. Make sure your sandals are on. Have your staff in your hand. Eat this as quickly as you can. You don't have time for the bread to rise. It's fast, right? So there's a tradition that goes back all the way to the first century and I have good reason to think that maybe, maybe Jesus included this in his Passover Seder. But it's usually at this point in the Seder where that tradition begins. So I'm going to start it here and we'll talk about it further later in the Passover, okay? So it usually starts with what is our Passover Passover. Uh, matzah bag here. It says Pesach right there. Okay, This is um, usually supposed to represent some kind of unity, whether it's the unity of the Jewish people or the unity of Jewish thought. But either way, there's three compartments. Interesting, right? There's three compartments, one, two, and three. And always at this point in the meal, the host would take the middle portion of matzah, if I can get to the middle portion here, the middle portion of matzah comes out of the bag. Not the first, not the third, always the second. And he takes this piece of matzah and he breaks it in half like that. And then he takes what we call the afikomen bag right here and he puts this broken piece of matzah into the afikoman linen bag, wraps it up, and then he runs and hides it somewhere in the house. We'll tell you why in just a little bit. He hides it somewhere over there. So, at this point, this is when the story usually happens. Remember, the whole thing is to remind the Jewish people of who they were, where they came from, who God is, and why they belong to him. So, at this point, the host... And I think probably Jesus at this point told the story of the Exodus. All of these elements that we already talked about become object lessons in the telling of the story. And so Jesus would begin with something like saying, God wanted the Hebrew people to remember who they were and how He had saved them. It all started with Abraham and his kids. And we're told in Genesis how God used Joseph to protect his chosen family and bring them to Egypt, but eventually they were made slaves. For 400 years, the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt until God came to sweep them away to be his own people. And the host would begin to recount how bitter it was, the life of a slave, and he might use something like this. He would take the, a bit of the maror, that's the horseradish here. You're supposed to use about a tablespoon of it. I'm feeling daring tonight, okay? And he would say, man, this is the taste of slavery, guys. Take some of this and let it do what it does, Yep, that's oppressive. And the host would say, remember how bitter life was without God, without his rescue, living under the oppression of the Egyptians. And then he would probably recount how despondent the people were. And he would take something like this Karpos is parsley, the bitter herb, and dip it in the salt water to represent the tears of the people as they lived under under the slavery of the Egyptians. And he would say, remember. Remember the tears. Remember life the way that we were without God. And the host might use a little bit of this Pharaoh set here to remind the people at the Seder of Moses' first confrontation with Pharaoh. He would say, you remember when, when he went to see Pharaoh and he said, you know, God said, let your people, these people go. And Pharaoh said, you guys are just lazy. I'm not going to give you guys any more straw to make these bricks. And you're going to have to make them on your own. Go find some straw. The host would likely encourage them to eat all of these elements. And if you guys were all up here right now, I would be encouraging you to try some of these elements. The idea is God's people needed deliverance. The host would then recount how Pharaoh said, no, no, no. Maybe. Nah. Yeah, sure. No. No, I don't think so. I don't know who this God is. And then we would see God's response to Pharaoh. And the host would take what's the second cup, the cup of deliverance, and he would recite all of what God did in response. Blood. Frogs. Lice, flies, livestock dying of diseases, boils all over your bodies, hail destroying all of your crops, and then locusts coming through and eating everything that's left. And then darkness when it should be day. And then, of course, of the firstborn, of each family in Egypt. And God delivered his people out of Egypt just as he promised in Exodus 6, 6 to 7. The cup of deliverance, sometimes called the cup of plague, celebrates the promise that God will deliver you from slavery. The disciples listened as Jesus told this story about the plagues, and they had to have had the Romans in mind right? That's our new oppressor. That's the the one to whom we are under their burden, right? But Jesus knew. Jesus knew that Passover foreshadowed a deliverance from an even greater and more oppressive slave master than any slave master in the history of slave masters. You see, Jesus knew that that deliverance foreshadowed a deliverance that he was going to offer to you and to me. Do you know who he gave us deliverance from? Our own sin-filled hearts. Our slavery to sin and its consequences. Don Volts, would you come? Let's listen to God's promise of deliverance to you, not just the Hebrew people, but to you as well.
1: From Romans
2: chapter, verses 17, 18, and 23. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you hear the promise that God offers to you? Deliverance from sin. Not just the consequences for sin. Not just the power that sin has over you now. But even, eventually, the very presence of sin entirely. He has set us free. People of God. Let's bless, as the Hebrews would, Baruch Ata ha'olam bere hagafin. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And let's celebrate the deliverance that He has wrought and is making in you right now. Let's remember. Amen. <laughs> now, after the cup of sanctification, after the cup of deliverance, comes the meal, the main course, the big platter of roasted lamb. Who brought it? It wasn't me. We don't have one tonight, but we do have some, uh, some music that we're going to sing, and I think it's pretty hearty. Okay, very theology-laden music for you guys to be able to celebrate God's deliverance and sanctification with. Let's eat together as we celebrate.
0: Let's stand together. I hear Savior, say thy strength indeed is small, child of. Paid it all All to him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it by a snow My sin had left a crimson stain washed it white as snow Oh precious is the flow that makes me white as snow No other fount I
2: At jesus table it's now getting late into the night the lamb has all been eaten the matzah is still around probably good reason for that everybody is enjoying themselves it's been a nice meal now typically in a modern seder at this point there would be a moment for the kids where the host, the leader, the Abba, would uh, do a little game for the kids uh, because they're getting pretty rammy at this point. I'm watching my own kids. I can see it starting to happen. And so, uh, so there's a little game for the kids, okay? You remember this, uh, this Komen that we, we hid away? The kids would go hunt for that. And they'll ransack the whole house and they'll come back and bring it back and, and uh, bring it to Abba. And they'll say, Abba, Abba, I got it, I got it. And, and then the dad, the host, has to uh, get this matzah back for himself by paying for it, literally. He redeems it back, it's said, at a certain amount of money. You know, when we do it in my house, it's usually a dollar because I'm a cheapskate. My kids ask for five, we don't negotiate, Uh, the little terrorists. So, So that's what happens in a modern Seder, but we don't know for sure if maybe Jesus might have done this, but it is interesting to note that after the meal, towards the end of the meal, Jesus did do something interesting with matzah. Now, the word afikomen, which we referred to this as, The word afikomen is the only Greek word in the entire Passover Seder, and it means that which comes after, or you could also translate it as, he has come, interestingly. So Jesus took some bread, and maybe it was the afikomen, I don't know. Jesus took some bread after the Seder and 1 Corinthians 11 tells us that he did something like this. He took a little bread and he broke it and he started passing it out to his disciples and he gave it to each and every one of them and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Now, the disciples might have been thinking to themselves, hey, wait a second, I thought this represented Sin. Or maybe they're thinking to themselves, Jesus, uh, like, why are you messing with the tradition here? What, what are you doing? Why this isn't supposed to represent your body? Since when? But some of them might have remembered John chapter six, when Jesus said, "Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will live." And so Jesus took these pieces and gave them to each of his disciples, why don't you and I do the same? Jesus said, this represents me, my body. Broken for you. Whenever you eat this, remember me. Let's remember him. And then Jesus did something else interesting. Usually at the end of the meal, we turn to the third cup. Sanctification, deliverance. This one is called the cup of redemption. And the text tells us that this is to remember to the Hebrew people that God promised that he would redeem them with an outstretched arm when with mighty acts of judgment. To the Hebrew people, that meant the the plagues, right? That meant God was going to judge the Egyptians. God was going to redeem them, buy them back at a cost. It was gonna cost something. It was gonna cost the Egyptians something. But when Jesus lifted up that third cup, he had an even greater redemption in mind and an even greater cost, and even greater acts of judgment. The judgment of Jesus in our place to redeem us, to purchase us, you and me, back for God. Let's listen to that promise. Pastor Todd's going to come and hear how the New Testament gives us that same promise of redemption
1: Chapter 5, verses eight through 10. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this: While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more? Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Do you
2: hear the cost? The cost of his son? To make enemies into sons and daughters, it cost him his son, the life. Of Jesus, God redeems his people with the blood of Jesus at the cost of the judgment poured out on Jesus on the cross. And Jesus said, this cup represents the new covenant that God is making, forged in my blood. When you drink the cup of redemption, remember me. You see what Jesus is doing? He's taking all this and he's putting it on the correct foundations. He's not just instituting communion as we understand it, though he certainly is doing that. But he's taking all this and showing how from the beginning it points to him, from the end it points to him. It's all about what he was about to do for you to redeem you. Let's remember the redemption that he purchased for us with his blood. Baruch atah Adonai, lehenu melech haolam, Borei Peri hagafen. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. Let's lean to the left and remember him. Amen. And now the celebration begins. The singing, the joy, the celebration, the games, the stories, the campfires, the deep into the night, as we remember the Exodus story again and again and again. But there is one more cup. There's one more cup that typically comes in this Passover Seder. The rabbis say you have to have four cups, you have to end with the taste of the cup in your mouth. Okay, so this fourth cup is still coming, right? It's typically called the cup of protection or the cup of acceptance or the cup even of praise, halal in Hebrew. It's called by all those names uh, and it's based on the promise from Exodus 6 that God is going to take them to be his people. I'm not only going to take you out, I'm not only going to deliver you, I'm not only going to redeem you, but I am going to bring you under the shadow of my wing. I am going to make you mine and mine alone and nothing is ever going to harm you again almost is the idea. That's not exactly what he promised, but that's the idea that I am going to overshadow you. I am going to have you. You are mine and that happened at Sinai. But when Jesus came to the fourth cup, this cup of complete reconciliation, this cup of complete perfect relationship, this cup of acceptance by God of his people, this cup of being protected by God. Jesus didn't drink it. All three of the synoptic gospels tell us that he didn't drink again, and he said he wouldn't until his kingdom after the third I'm not going to drink anymore, guys. We're not going to celebrate that fourth cup. Instead, he ended up teaching them about persecution. And he started talking about who was going to betray him. Jesus didn't drink this cup because the time for praise hadn't come yet, I think. Jesus didn't drink this cup because there was still the work of redemption to be done, not just the promise. Jesus didn't drink this cup because he still wasn't finished with the cost to be paid. He didn't drink this cup because it wasn't time yet for God's complete and perfect acceptance of his people because he wasn't done yet. The cost in the darkness, the agony, the rejection, the crucifixion, and judgment of God were just hours yet to come. So he didn't commemorate the finished work of God taking his people to himself because it wasn't finished yet. Instead, Jesus sang a song with his disciples. And then he led them out into the dark streets of Jerusalem. While all the people around, through windows that splashed lights into those cobblestone streets, celebrated, he led his disciples out into the darkness across the Kidron Valley that would have been swampy with all the blood of the thousands upon thousands of lambs that had poured out their blood into that valley that day. He walked across it to a grove of olive trees just within sight of the temple. And in the darkness he prayed. Because he knew what was coming. And he knew what it would cost him. Though he prayed to be spared the final cup, he resolutely submitted his will to God. As he sweat turned into blood, drops of blood, hard pressed almost like the olives as they're put into the presses that were near him while he prayed. In the darkness, his former disciples showed the soldiers where they could find him where it wouldn't make a fuss. In the darkness, he was beaten. He was set up in a false court by the high priests and the Sadducees in a mockery of any sense of justice. And as light finally dawned that Friday morning, Jesus was dragged back and forth between the power brokers of his world as the priests tried to find someone who had authority to kill the king of the universe. Even then, he was still found innocent. But even then, he was flogged until he was unrecognizable. Flesh of his back literally hanging off his bones. He carried his cross out of the city towards a quarry, though somebody else had to help him. And at 9 a.m., early that Friday morning, he had spikes driven through his hands and his feet. And it wasn't an accident that it was at the exact same time, 9 a.m., that the morning Passover sacrificial lamb was being killed in the temple courts while it happened. He hung for three hours, gasping for breath. The crowds mocked, the soldiers gambled, and the Son of God carried the sin of the world. At 12 p.m., darkness fell on the world as if creation itself couldn't bear to watch the wrath of God the Father being poured out for you and me on God the Son. And while he hung there, he quoted scripture. Here's some of the words that David wrote a thousand years before Jesus that Jesus quoted while he hung from the cross and while he was suffocating got these words out my God my God why have you forsaken me why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning oh my God I cry by day but you do not answer and by night but I find no rest all who see me mock me they make mouths at me they wag their heads saying he trusts in the Lord let him deliver him let him rescue him, for he delights in him. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust. Death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They've pierced my hands and feet. I can count all of my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations, they shall worship before you For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has finished it. And at 3 p.m., the same time that the sound of the shofar blew in the temple courts for the sacrifice of the lamb of the evening Passover sacrifice. At the same time, with these words, Jesus died. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. To make the fourth cup possible. I will take you to be my people. Isaiah says this. He was despised and rejected by men. Man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Shalom. And with his wounds, we are healed. Passover is a powerful picture of God's promises to the Jewish people, and he's going to keep every last one of them. But it's also a powerful picture of God's promises to you and me, today, whether you're Jew or Gentile. Messiah Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach has paid the price to win you back to God. Thank God for this incredible reminder. And so we'll end with the phrase that Passover Seders have always ended for thousands upon thousands of years. The Jewish people always said this last phrase, next year in Jerusalem, they always said that phrase, hoping for the Messiah to come. Well, you and I are still hoping for him to come again, aren't we? We're wishing for Jesus to come back so that we can celebrate the culmination of all God's plans in his kingdom with him personally as we drink finally this fourth cup with Jesus, our rescuer. Don't you long for that day. So we're gonna say next year in Jerusalem to close all together, and I want this to be from your toes. Ready? Next year in Jerusalem. May God bless you this Passover. Thank you for listening. Shalom.
0: Let's stand again one more time together as we've rehearsed and remembered a bit of the hope that we have in Christ. Let's affirm that together in this song. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought.
1: Let's praise together. Can we praise him? Thank you, guys. Thank you. You guys have a seat for a moment. Can we thank Dan Price one more time for coming and leading us? Thank you, Dan. This Seder will actually be online. We've recorded the whole thing. In fact, this is live stream right now, so there's people at home watching this. Uh, So this might be something you want to send over to a friend. You want to watch again because there's just so much content in there. Uh, we want you to know it'll be right there on our website so you can access that anytime you want. Uh, also, please take your trash with you before you leave. Uh, put that in the plastic baggies uh, and, and drop it off in the trash can uh, as you leave. But before we do that, uh, one other announcement, and then we're gonna close in a special way. Uh, one other announcement. Do not pick up your children until 8.30, okay? So that's, uh, that's about 15 more minutes. So if you have children down in our children's program, that's an hour and a half program, so we're finishing a little bit early up here, so hang around, uh, hang out in the lobby, uh, go visit Dan at his table, or maybe come up here and and try some of the elements, Uh, but don't go downstairs until 8.30 to pick up your children, all right? We're good on that? Okay. I'd be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity, maybe some of you are here today, and uh, maybe you come from a Jewish background, you're not a Christian. Or maybe you thought you were a believer because, you know, you've gone to church and you prayed a lot of prayers and you give money uh, to the church. And, you know, after all, you're a pretty good person, right? You do a lot of good things for other people. But maybe throughout this Seder, the Lord has been speaking directly to you, speaking to your heart about what it is that Christ has done for you. You know, he has made this sacrifice. Everything we learned about here, he's made it for you. If you're the only human that ever existed on the planet, he would have gone to the cross for you, given his life for you. And he gave his life for you as an act of love. He redeemed you. He delivered you. He sanctified you. And one day, you will praise him in eternity And it's not going to be because of your own works. It's not going to be because you gave enough money to church. It's not going to be because you went to church enough. It's not going to be because you prayed enough prayers or you did enough good deeds. None of those things are going to get you reunited with him in glory. It's only going to be because he took the cup of wrath and he drank it. It's only because he poured out his love for you. His body for you was broken. And if you believe that, the Bible says in Romans, Paul says in Romans chapter 10, anyone who uh, confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. Belief, it's trusting that he took on that cup for you. If you believe that, you will be saved. And so I want to give you an opportunity, just everybody's eyes closed right now, Heads bowed. And maybe you've been watching this and the Lord, by his spirit, has been pressing in on your heart. Maybe you came here before this and you thought, you know what? I think a lot of these stories, they're they're myths, they're legends, people made them up. But you've realized that no human being could have fathomed a story like this. And you've seen, it's all come crashing together into your heart. And it's today, today that the Lord is calling you to be his son or his daughter. And if that's you, you can pray a simple prayer. You could say, it's not the words of this that save you. It's whether you believe them in your heart. Say, Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner. That I'm a slave to my sin. And there's nothing that I can do to pay for my own sin. I trust that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and lived a perfect life, died a death in my place for me, to forgive me of my sins, and to reunite me to God the Father. That three days later, he rose from the dead to claim victory over sin and death. I believe this. I trust this for myself. Forgive me of all of my sins. And I want to make you Lord of my life. Have you prayed that and you believe that in your heart? The Bible says that you will be saved. Not just saved from your past, your past sins. Not just saved in the present, but saved in the future. There will be a day when you die, when you go to see and be and stand in front of the almighty God, you will be declared not guilty. You will be declared saved, set free, son or daughter of God forever and ever. And if that's you today, I wanna encourage you to use that connection card that's in the seat back in front of you and fill that out. Give us your name, some information, and you can just write in the back that your next step is you made a decision for Christ so that we can follow up with you and you can learn what it means to walk with him. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone who prayed that or maybe some of us are just renewing our faith here together, I thank you for this wonderful symbol of the Lord's Supper. May we never eat the Lord's Supper the same again. Might it impact our soul and we might be drawn to worship our Savior. We thank you for this time together and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, tomorrow night is, of course, Good Friday. Uh, Join us for this. We're going to be, again, walking with Jesus in those final days, those final hours. We're going to be walking from the Garden of Gethsemane through to his death and his burial um, on that Good Friday. So uh, it's going to be a powerful time of music, of scripture reading, uh, of drama. And uh, so join us for that time. It'll be 7 o'clock right back here in this same room. This will be a tenebrae service, a a time of meditation and reflection to observe and take in the sacrifice and suffering of Christ, and we will leave uh, this place in silence. So that'll be, again, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. Why don't we stand, and we'll sing a halal as we close, as Jesus would have. We'll sing a Christian halal, the doxology, together. So why don't we do that together, okay? Praise God.